0: Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you this morning? You're doing well. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Titus chapter 2, Titus chapter 2. Uh, This morning, we continue in our series, Adorn, and I'm going to explain that in in just a second. If you're using a digital Bible, I will be using the NASB translation of the Bible, uh, as well as bouncing to a King James passage, uh, if my memory serves me well. So, uh, Titus chapter 2, this morning we continue in week 3 of our series Adorn. In week 1, we set the table for what this looks like. And then last week, I, I, I took you know uh, aim at older men. And this week, we're going to talk to older women. I'll clarify that so I don't get the daggers that I'm already getting. <laughs> anyway, so, but, but here's, here's the overview of the sermon. That, that as Christians, we are called by God... Uh, to, to adorn his gospel. That is that we are, the, the picture that I gave you guys a couple of weeks ago, is that we are to put the frame around the masterpiece. Okay, So if the gospel is the Mona Lisa, if the gospel is the masterpiece, if, if the power of God unto salvation, which is what the Bible says the gospel is, if that is the masterpiece, then our lives lived in holiness and righteousness before God. That's the adornment of the gospel. That's the frame around the masterpiece. Okay? We don't, by, by our holiness and righteousness, by, by the way we live in view of mercy, we don't add to the gospel. The gospel doesn't need your help. Can you actually say that to somebody next to you? The gospel doesn't need your help. Say it. The gospel doesn't need your help, right? The gospel doesn't need your help. But God has called us to something powerful, and that is he has called us to adorn the gospel. Uh, The way I want you to see adornment is the same way a picture frame uh, adorns the masterpiece, the same way that makeup adorns the beautiful woman. It simply points to what already exists. It points to what is beautiful, So this is really important. And so when we live our lives in view of mercy again, we are living our lives to make much of Jesus. Now, the gospel is multifaceted. The gospel is much bigger than I think we have given uh, it credit for. Everybody in this room knows that the gospel uh, is the salvation of men and women. Amen? We know that. We were sinners. We're saved by grace. But Titus chapter 2 verse 11 goes on and says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. We get that part of the gospel. Bringing salvation to all men. But the next line is so important. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. The gospel saves us from something, sin and death. But the gospel saves us to something as well. And that is the instruction of the God of the universe. You see, God came to earth to die for the sins of humanity because he hated our behavior and our actions. He hated our violation of his righteous decrees and commands. It would make no sense for God to come and just wipe away the consequences of our rebellion, of our cosmic treason, and leave us in that state. This is why it's so important we understand that the Bible tells us we are not to continue in sin so that grace might abound. It is the grace of God that came to save men and women, but it is the grace of God that came to instruct men and women in righteousness and godliness and holiness. And when we understand that that's the gospel, adorning that gospel is, is easy-peasy. It's a no-brainer. We're all in for this. Why? Because we've been redeemed. Amen. We've been set free. Things have been completely changed and transformed. So God has not just saved us from something, church. He has saved us to something. He saved us from sin and death, but he saved us to the spirit and life and joy and happiness and all the things we sang about already. Amen? So this is so important. So adorning the gospel is the call of the Christian. Now, I made a really important uh, kind of disclaimer a couple of weeks ago in that, In that in our adorning of the gospel, we we do this always in view of mercy. Sorry, I'll take a drink here in a second. But we do this always in view of mercy. We must never get the order upside down. We do not do this to earn our salvation. Nor do we do this to pay Jesus back for what he did. You can't do it. Ain't enough pocket change in all of our pockets, plus all that have lived throughout humanity. It does not work. Not enough good deeds can, can do what the spotless lamb alone could do. Another disclaimer that I, that I gave to you is that, uh, that what God has called us to, adorning the gospel, is inspired. We see it right here in Titus chapter 2, that we're to adorn the gospel of Jesus, we're to adorn the doctrine of Christ, we're to do so with our lives. What we're called to do, inspired. This is where it gets tricky for people. How we're supposed to do it, also inspired. Guys, this book is a prescription for your life. This book tells us so many things of what God expects and how he wants us to do it, and the heart we're supposed to have in doing so, that when we read it, we should just be floored by what God has called us to. But we should also be gladly submissive. We should be obedient to that truth. Amen? Amen. Can I get an amen from Barney? Amen. Amen. Awesome. Okay. Barney gave me a, a good amen. That was good. This is my amen corner. They said so. So if you want to join it. Front row, anytime you want to be here. I promise I don't spit either. Hmm. Just so you know, much. Okay, so, so what God has called us to adorn the gospel and how God has called us to do it is equally inspired. Here's what God says older men are called to do in uh, adorning the gospel. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, sound in love, and sound in perseverance. Now, if you were here last week, you remember that that's a tall order. That's a tall order. That's a, that's a big deal. But we, here's the beauty. We've been given everything we need pertaining to life and godliness, haven't we? The Spirit of God resides inside of our hearts, right? Yes. So we can walk in this. And men, the call is still here. One week went by, you're still on the hook. Smile, okay? You're still on the hook. You have a responsibility. This morning, though, I am going to turn my attention towards, towards older women. Now, the definition of older women is slightly different than we see in older men. You see, uh, last week, what we learned about older men were they were people who had this particular responsibility of training up their children, uh, of of being married, all those things. Okay, That that kind of fits the camp of the older men. Uh, But younger women or older women are not defined solely as those who have kids. There's younger women that they're called to instruct, and the instruction they're supposed to give younger women, which includes younger women in this responsibility, is that they're to instruct the younger women how to love their husbands and love their children. So it can't be the distinction of what their responsibility is, okay? What I believe the distinction is, and I would challenge you to study it for yourself, what I believe the distinction is, is the, the maturity and the responsibility that has been gained over time for how to do the stuff that mothers and older women do, okay? Mothers and wives do. It's, it's how to do that because one of the key roles of an older woman is instruction. So that's a really important piece to all of this. Uh, we need the older generation. Can you, can you guys give me an amen on this? We need the older generation. Listen to me very clearly. This is, I, I have no, you know, I have no love for the culture's view of the elderly, of people that are older, because in our culture today, youth is glorified, youth is glorified, and age is, uh, is put away. Age is put away. We just, we're tired of it. We don't think we can gain anything from it. We don't listen to wisdom anymore for some foolish reason, right? And so we just kind of push people off to the side. Listen, the last time, I love this. My mother-in-law actually pointed this out to us a long time ago, uh, that the last time you actually ask your parents something, you say, hey, how do I do this? Think in your mind, when's the last time you asked your parents, hey, how do I do this? It's probably been a long time, but you asked Google yesterday, Right? You ask Google. So either we either we have uh, just put away older people, and we glorify youth, and we glorify Google, or we just don't think they have anything to offer. Right? Saw this great internet meme. Uh, Any Lord of the Rings fans in the room? Okay, come on, raise your hands really high, really high. Nerds unite. Okay, awesome. So we, we are geeks, we love this, right? There's this picture of Gandalf from the movie, picture of Gandalf from the movie, and a picture of Frodo, and Frodo says, what's the elvish word for friend? Do you remember this part in the movies? No, you guys are like, you're an idiot. Anyway, so what's the elvish word for friend? And the picture of Gandalf is him on a laptop saying, hold on, I'll check. That's awesome, right? Because that's our culture, right? We don't know anything. We don't seek wisdom from people. We just go to Google, okay? So the culture that we have disbands with elderly or older people. But guys, listen to me very clearly. We need their wisdom. You know why we need their wisdom? If for nothing else, then they have done it before we have. They may just tell us what not to do to avoid pain. Amen? That is worth the price of admission, okay? So I'm not going to have all the old, older people stand up. Anyway, so, but the point is we need to respect that reality. So we're going to talk to older women. We've seen a little bit more of their distinction. They're those who teach. Now, this is going to be shocker to all of you in this room. This is going to be uh, just... New information, revelation for you. I am not, never have been, nor will I ever be a woman or an older woman. Okay? <laughs> Did you hear that? It was awesome. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes. No, there's no going to be any reassignments. No, no you know, choice of anything new. I'm not identifying any other way. Okay, so, but what, what's really important is that I, I don't know what it is to be a woman or an older woman. But what I'm about to say has no bearing on that reality. We live in a culture that says, if you haven't walked a mile in my shoes, keep it to yourself. If you don't know what I'm going through, if you don't know who I am or what I've gone through or what I've been through, what I am, then you don't have any right to speak into my life. And that is completely legitimate if we're talking about human opinion. But when we're talking about the revelation of God's word, it's null and void as an excuse. It's null and void. You see, what I want to share today is not a guy trying to tell women what they should look like. What I'm here to say today is the God of the universe who tells his creation how they ought to be. Do you see that? Just like last week, it was. it's easy for me to pick on guys. It's easy for me to do this. It's not so easy for me to get up here and talk to women because you guys have the most... Unbelievable stares I've ever <laughs> experienced in my life, and I'm getting them right now. But what I want you to know is that what is said here is, is the inspired word of God. Please don't hear Nathan. Please don't hear Nathan. What I want you to hear is the God of the universe who, who cares for his creation and has a particular way that they should live, okay? So there's, there's your disclaimer, right? I don't know what it's like to be a woman, never will I. But I do know what God's Word says. So without further ado, let's just jump right in. Titus chapter 2, starting at verse 3. Here's what it says. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. And look at what follows in the teaching. So that they may encourage the young women... To love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Piece by piece, let's fire through it. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior. The word reverent here means holy or fitting in their behavior. But for me personally, I I fell in love with, in, in my study, I fell in love with what one of the early church fathers said. Ignatius said this. He said, this is the kind of behavior of one whose very demeanor is a great lesson. Whose very demeanor is a great lesson. We all know somebody like this. We've all met somebody in our lives where their their behavior, you just want to take notes. You look at them and you're like, wow, this is a... An amazing human being. Like, they get integrity. They get love. They get charity. They get all of the pieces that we see in Scripture. They get it. And man, if I just study them, if I just follow them, I think I'll get somewhere in my life, right? This is what we're talking about when it comes to reverent behavior. It's a behavior that is, that is a great lesson in and of itself. Ignatius went on to say that uh, this was a person to whom even the godless should pay reverence. A person to whom even the godless should pay reverence. You see, we actually see that later on in the instruction in Titus 2 when it talks to uh, young men. It says that the opponent will be put to shame by their good behavior, having nothing bad to say about us. Ultimately, even the ungodly will see something of respect and repute, right, in a godly person. So this is, this is an extremely or a, a godly older woman. It's really important. The next thing that it goes on to say, and I, I love this one. You guys are going to love this. If you're note takers, you're going to want to write this down. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips. Say that with me. Not malicious gossips. Not malicious gossips. Now, that doesn't say that you can be a regular gossip. You just got to stay away from malicious gossip, okay, but tongue and cheek aside, there is a distinction that I want you to understand there is a distinction because the King James translation of the Bible in malicious gossip talks about something or alludes to somebody who bowls uh, to who bears false testimony or false witness co- towards another. I believe in the scripture we have two forms of gossip, both of which are sin. I think we have uh, uh we have Gossip that is kind of uh, not invasive in people's lives. In other words, it's just you talking about situations and scenarios that you're neither the problem or the solution. You're, you're not a part of it. You just tell people. This is kind of what gossip columns do in a lot of ways. They just kind of tell a story that is supposed to be secret. Okay? In many ways, this, it, this can be uh, uh, a non-hurtful type of gossip. It's just... Revealing information that you probably didn't want anybody else to know. Now, you shouldn't do that either. Okay, so like knock it off, right? But, uh, but this one with malicious gossip is bearing false testimony. This is the kind of gossip that has as its aim the, the hurt of another person's character. Do you understand where we're going with this? Bearing false testimony causes the rest of the world to see that person in a different light. This is a no-go. no go this is a no-go, right? The scripture tells us that we are to be we are to be people of truthfulness. We're not people of lies. The, who is the devil? He's the father of lies, right? We're, we're nothing like him. We're supposed to be people of integrity. So when it comes to talking to other people and about other people, listen, I love the old, you know, it's the mother saying from back in the day, right, which is, if you don't have something nice to say... You guys got it, right? I don't I don't have to say it. You guys get it. So this is what we're supposed to be and do. We should not be malicious gossips, but older women, you have a responsibility in not being a malicious gossip. You have to understand culturally their time. In a large way, it wasn't just their priority to that their, ho- their home wasn't just their priority, but rather their place was home, right? So they were, they were supposed to be at home. We have a different world, right? Where we, where we work and everybody does something and, you know, who's the breadwinner? Who knows, right? But, but we di- they did live in a slightly different culture in which there, was, there wasn't as much maybe to do, Okay, I don't agree with that fully, but this is what you hear. There wasn't as much to do, right? And so talking about people or talking about things was common, especially in the city gate. But this is a no-go because we're bearing false testimony and we malign other people. So listen, it doesn't matter if you're a stay-at-home mom or you're a -a 90-hour-a-week working woman. Listen, talking about other people bearing false testimony is not fitting for an older woman. And it's specifically not fitting when you're trying to teach young daughters and when you're trying to teach younger women what it looks like to follow Jesus. Why? Because this is not the behavior of young women, of godly women. So we have to break this cycle at some point. I think the reason why we have the stereotypes of both men and women is because generations past didn't always take their responsibility serious, and they didn't instill in the next generation who they ought to be. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we have a responsibility to train the next generation. So let's continue moving on. Older women likewise are to be reverent, holy, set apart in their behavior. They're not to be malicious gossips, nor... Uh, enslaved to much wine the prohibition message that's what we're going to go with Uh, no but turn with turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5 here's what I love about God's word God's word interprets God's word can I get an amen on that God's word interprets God's word which means if we don't understand a thing or maybe culturally it doesn't make sense what we ought to do is look search the rest of scripture and find out why God gives particular instruction Ephesians chapter 5, starting at a famous verse, which is verse 18. Here's what it says, and this is a general instruction to all God's people to imitate God. But look at what it says. It says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. How many of you are familiar with this passage? Don't be drunk with wine, but, get, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And most people are like, well, that's, a, you know, that's an anti-drinking uh, message. It's not an anti-drinking message. Listen to me very clearly. The Bible says in the psalm, it says, just as the rain is, is good for the mountains and for the fields, and just as it is good for the sun, is good for the, the, the trees, wine makes man's heart glad. It was a gift given to men. What do men do with all gifts? We distort them, we pervert them, we go too far with them, okay? And so getting drunk is the issue here, okay? Being uh, intoxicated is the issue. But God's word tells us his view of wine, right? But in this particular instruction, he goes very clearly, do not get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what happens after the comma here are a bunch of participles. It's a bunch of explanations of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And most people don't connect this in Ephesians chapter 5. So let's walk through them really quick. It says, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the first marker. People filled with the Holy Spirit speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You can tell those who are true Christians, not just telling you they're Christians, but the ones who have been indwelt by the Spirit, because that's supposed to be there at salvation, right? When you are filled with the Spirit of God, you are a person who sings and praises Jesus. Amen? Amen. You can tell. And this is uh, probably the uh, the best New Testament example of modern day worship, which is to sing songs. Because the next... Uh, instruction, the next participle, is amazing what it says. But listen, we are supposed to do this. Now, there's some translation challenge inside of this, and I I want you to study it on your own. I think you'll enjoy this study. But in verse 19, when it says, speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, it is just as equally possible that that the scripture says, speak to oneself in psalms, and hymns, and spiritual songs. And you know, I know that that is true based on my experience because I'll read through the Psalms and what happens? I'm encouraged by by who God is and by what he does, right? So whether it's speak to one another or speak to oneself, this is a mark of one filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, speaking to one another in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and making melody with your heart to the Lord. That has nothing to do with music. It has nothing to do with songs. How many of you know that worship it's like nine parts holiness and one part music. <laughs> it's, it's really important. I love music. I love what we did today. And it's a natural expression of those created in the image of God. I think we, we want to sing. We want to praise God. But God is looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. And oddly in that list, he leaves off guitars I think God was wrong, but that's me. Okay, so, but anyways, no, he's not. Okay, don't, no lightning bolts, I apologize. Okay, so in spirit and in truth, you are to be a person who, filled with the spirit, makes melody in your heart to the Lord. Verse 20, always giving thanks in all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. You want to know what an amazing identifier of one filled with the Holy Spirit is? They're a thankful people. Have you ever met the Christians that are just grumps? You just, all you have to do is subtract the word Christian, okay? And you've got what it is. Sorry, anyway. So the idea is we're thankful. But it's amazing that it says we're thankful in all things. At 38 years old, at 38 years old, soon to be 39, too soon to be 40, right? Uh, 38 years old, (laughs) you guys can laugh at me all you want, but I'm holding on. Anyway, so 38 years old, I have learned over recent years, I have learned what Paul means when he says, in all things, give glory to God, give thanks. Whether in good or bad, whether it's painful or whether it's pleasing, right? And it's not because we're gluttons for punishment, Man, I love to just be abused and persecuted and hurt and, and go through trials. That's, that's, he's not sadistic in that way. Paul isn't sadistic in that way. What Paul is saying is that we should always give thanks in all things. Why? Because of what it produces in us. Do you know that if you go through pain with the right eyes and the right heart, you will come out a better individual on the other side? If you go through pain with the wrong eyes and the wrong heart, you will come out bitter. That's what will happen, right? But we rejoice in all things. We're thankful in all things. Why? Because of what it produces inside of us. God is plowing hearts here, church. Yours as well. And he sends you through some serious chaos in order to, uh, to be better in order to grow and be sanctified. So it's really important. Look at what comes next. This is where we, we connect all of these things. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 20, uh, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So back to Titus chapter 2, you're saying, what's this matter about not being enslaved to much wine? You see, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are, we are able to glorify God and to adorn the gospel in the right way. But if we are, filled, or we are drunk with wine and not filled with the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to do what the Bible says, which is to quench the Spirit of God. And in being drunk, we quench the Spirit of God, and that means we're no good at the things that follow. Being filled with all, we're no good at worshiping God. Everybody in this room knows if you've had any experience with drugs, alcohol, addictions, any of these things, when you are in the throes of those things, the last thing you want to do is look God in the face and say, praise you, Jesus. You hide. You do exactly what Adam and Eve did. You run behind a tree. This is, this is kind of built into us. We're ashamed. But if we're not drunk with wine, but filled with the Holy Spirit, we're more apt to do everything God calls us to do. One of those is in, those instructions comes next, which is that we uh, that older women are to be submissive to their wives, and I'm going to explain that, right? But listen, if you're drunk with wine, what to their husbands? Yes, my bad. That it was the greatest line over here. Excuse me. <laughs> so, did you say that, Bettina? Yes, yeah, because it's because you thought I was calling Jerry a woman. Sorry, Jerry. Anyway, <laughs> so be submissive to your husbands okay so th- this is not a new age church okay so really <laughs> i don't like you people anymore okay so anyway okay awesome but when we're filled with the holy spirit church listen to me clearly when we're filled with the holy spirit we we won't quench the Spirit. We won't uh, misstep. We will do as God has called us to do, right? So this instruction of don't be drunk with wine or don't be given to wine is an instruction to older women that says, you keep a level head on your shoulders, you be filled with the Spirit of God, and you be useful for His purposes. Amen? You be useful for His purposes. How many of you want to be useful for God's purposes? How many of you older women want to be useful for God's purpose? I'll put my hand down now. Awesome. This is important. So it's really important. Not get drunk with wine. Maybe you don't have any struggles with that at all. So he goes on. Don't be enslaved to much wine. Teaching what is good. Your responsibility is a teacher. Older women, say this. I am a teacher. I am a teacher. Say it again. I am a teacher. Say it one more time. I am a teacher. You are a teacher, whether it's through your life or through your words. You are a teacher. Here's what you teach. That you are to encourage the young women to love their husbands and love their children. Let me give you two Greek words. Uh, Philandros and philotechnos. Those are the two Greek words that are covered here, okay? Philandros is love for your husband. Philotechnos is love for your children. Older women, you are to teach younger women what you already know, which is how to love your husbands and how to love your children. But what type of love are we talking about? This is really important. There's three main types of love that we find in the scripture. There is eros, which is a love of attraction. Eros, a love of attraction. There is phileo, which is where we get these two words, philandros and philotechnos, right? Phileo, this is a Greek word that means affection. We've got attraction, we've got affection, and then we've got agape, which is action, okay, which is a love of action, okay? So I need you to hear me real quick, because this is something that's been gone wrong in the church. The scripture eros is where we get the word erotic from. That is a love of attraction, like that person is beautiful, whatever we might say, okay? The scripture never says that God is eros towards you and me. Doesn't say it. He's not eros towards you. There's no inappropriate, weird stuff, okay? This is important. It's not eros. The Bible talks of two types of love that fit the church and human beings. Phileo, which is in an affection. He calls Moses and Abraham a friend. That's the affection we're talking about. He is the bridegroom for the bride who is the church. Affection, you guys see that idea? But when John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, he did not say, for God so thought you were awesome and beautiful and wanted to change the world for you. It was for God so moved heaven and earth to make your circumstance different. That's what John 3.16 says. This is why it's important that we don't look at this and say, oh my goodness, look how beautiful we are and God just was so attracted to us. There was nothing attractive in us, church, but God agape and moved the world to love us. But in America, we only have one word, right? It's love. I love my pizza. I love my wife. I love this. I love it. No, like there's got to be more in our understanding. In the Greek, we have it. Eros, a love of attraction. Phileo, a love of affection. God does communicate this. And then uh, agape, a love of action. God ascending to the hill to die for you and for me. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Make sure you understand what we're talking about, defining the terms when we're talking about God's great love for us. This is so beautiful. So, so we've got this, teach them how to love their husbands and love their children. This is Phileo. This is a love of affection. Older women, you have a responsibility to teach the younger women. Younger women, you have a responsibility to be this. You have a responsibility to have affection both for your husband and for your children. Please do not shortchange your husband's affection when you have children. Please do not do so. You won't be married for long. Right? Please do not shortchange the affection you give to your children for your husband. You are to... Philandros and philotechnos, you are to be affectionate towards both of them. You are to love them. This is so important. Older women, you have a responsibility to teach younger women what that looks like out of what file folder? Out of the file folder of experience. You've been here. You should know what this is. The reason why we have a breakdown in the family is twofold. Men and women, it's twofold. It is fathers and mothers not doing their job. It is older women and older men not doing their job, which is to teach the next generation what this even looks like. And I'm grateful to be raised in a very solid and loving family. I'm grateful for that. I'm even more grateful that I married a wife who comes from a loving family and understands that. And with those two things, there's no guarantee we'll get it right. But we have a great model. We have mom, dad, John, Kathy, gone. We have older men and older women. It's the only time I'm going to get to say that without getting smacked, (laughs) right? We have older men and older women that are modeling this for us. And it is valuable. It is valuable. So this is an important instruction for older women. We're reaching the end, guys. So here's what it says. It says, older women, teach the younger women to love their husbands. Be into your husbands. Love their children. Be into your children. To be sensible. We talked about it last week. We talk about wearing sensible shoes. You need to be the right pair of shoes for the right situation in all situations. Moms and dads, older men and older women, be sensible. Next, be pure. That is undefiled. Uh, This gets back to a phrase in verse 3 that says, Women, likewise, be reverent or holy in your behavior. What is pure? What is holy? It is set apart for God's purposes, not your own. You don't have your own agenda. You were bought at a price. You surrendered. It's Jesus now, right? Workers at home. Women, say that with me. Workers at home. I'm getting the stairs. I'm looking down. Say it again. Workers at home. Okay, it's really important. The Bible does not communicate that women should be barefoot, pregnant, and in the kitchen. It doesn't communicate it. That message communicates that older women should teach younger women the same thing they know, and that is to make their home priority rather than place. It's to make your home priority rather than place. Here's why I know that this is true. Because when you rewind in your scripture back to Proverbs 31, and you study what a virtuous woman looks like, who in the scripture is married with children when you study what she looks like she buys fields and sells them she bu- she goes to afar to buy produce and to do all these different things her home may not always be her place but her home is her priority And she cares profoundly for it. There is one more thing that I'll say before I move on because I'm getting uncomfortable myself up here. Okay, so there's one more thing that I want to share with you. And that is, if your home is your priority, it will also be your place from time to time. You would never let your husbands get away with something like this, saying, "My, my family is my priority, but they never come home. You would never let them off the hook for that. You'd say nonsense. You say we're your priority, but you never show up. Women, the same thing. The home is your priority, not your place per se, physical you know, orientation. It's your priority, but anything that is your priority will demand your place. Every husband, every father, every mother, every wife is going to be home. They're going to have to be home at some point. Otherwise, it's not priority, amen? So this is so big. When we read the scripture for what it says, it will change how we look at it. So he goes on. Be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind. Just, just be kind. That's awesome. Be kind. Be subject to their own husbands. That word subject there is a phrase, is a Greek word, hupotasso. Will you say that with me? <laughs> Come on, say it like with some attitude. Hoopatasso! That's awesome. You guys are awesome. I got you on r- record doing this. Okay. Hupitaso in its most basic form, and you need to brace yourselves for this, in its most basic form means do what you're told. <laughs> <laughs> so We're going to have a potluck now. And uh, just thank you guys for coming. <laughs> there is not a chance in the world I'm leaving it hanging there, okay? That is its most literal translation. But, but here, older women, younger women, all, all women in this room, I want to point out two really important factors. Number one, the scripture does say hupotasso, to wives to submit to their husbands. It does not say women submit to men. Please don't the Bible doesn't communicate this. The second thing we have to remember is what the full Bible says. 1 Peter chapter 2 says all Christians should submit to the governing authorities, hupotasso. Men, you are to submit. Chapter 3, verse 1, it says, wives, hupotasso, to your husbands. Verse 7, it goes on and says, husbands, do likewise. Well, crap. Right? <laughs> Thought we were off the hook. No, we're not off the hook. Do likewise. In chapter 5, verse 5, it says that that the younger are to submit to the older out of reverence and respect. Because the Bible does care for age and hasn't discarded it, right? The younger are to hupotasso to the older. And then it says in the King James, it says, all y'all, hupotasso to all y'all. Okay, that's, it's not actually the King James, but anyway, it's close enough, right? Just take my word for it, right? It says that idea. And then we fast forward to Ephesians, and it communicates the same thing. Those people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, what are they to do? Hupotasso. We submit to one another out of what? The fear of Christ. Why would you submit? So, so here's, here's the deal. That, that's, that's the big teaching part. What I want to end with is this. I want to paint you two pictures of how husbands, older men, and wives, mothers, older women are supposed to hupotasso, according to the scripture. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says to men, you are to love your wives as Christ loved the church. You know what it says next? Who laid down his life for her. Men, I'm talking to you. Women, you should listen so that you could... Hold them to it. But anyway, so Ben, I'm talking to you. You are to love your wives as Christ loved the church. Your tasso, your submission looks like this. You better be willing to go to the hill for your wife. You better be willing to climb up on that cross and bear the scars of love, scars of pain, scars of what marriage can be at times. You better be willing to. And listen, I'll give you this. I'll give you that you're the king of your castle. I'll give you that the Bible says that God is the head of Christ and Christ is the head of man and man is the head of woman. I'll give it to you. That's perfectly fine. But I want you to understand, if you want to wear a crown as a king, understand what your crown looks like. Like Christ, put a crown of thorns on your head. You don't get jewels and gold and diadems and all of these things until Jesus glorifies you. You die. That's your hupotasso. Okay? Now, wives, it should be easier for you, right? Because if your husband's doing that, wouldn't you be willing to tasso? I would, right? I didn't mention a dance move there, guys, okay? So I'm, I'm just, I'm serious, right? If your husband is sacrificial, he's given his everything to you, wouldn't it be natural, wouldn't it be easier? I'm not saying it's always easy, but wouldn't it be easier for you to submit? It'd be amazing. So guys, do your job. Do your job. You want a better marriage? You want a better life? You want a better family? You want a better You're the man. Be the man. Do what you're supposed to do. Wives, here's your hoopotaso. Scripture says that you are to respond to your husband the same way that the church responds to Christ. This is wow, this is powerful. You know that the church endures persecution for the one she loves, right? There's going to be pain in marriage. There's going to be hurt, isn't there? For better or for worse, right? That's what we've said. Sickness and in health, till death do us part, until you're a meathead and then I'm out. That's not, that's, that's not our vows, right? We, we're all in. So older wives, you're teaching younger wives what it looks like. And listen, the, the church, not the make-believe church, not the so-called church, the nominal church, but the real church, those who are bought by the blood of Jesus, they submit to Jesus with a glad heart, with everything that they have. Why? Because the hope is greater on the other side. This is the truth. If you, older women, if you will teach the younger women by your actions, by your instruction, and younger women, you will do this. If you will, in your marriages, if you will submit to your husbands as though the church, like the church submits to Christ, the promise in the end is glory like you've never seen. It's glory like you've never seen. Did you know we should be hungry for glory, church? Did you know we should be hungry for glory? We should be hungry for the glory that God promises to give us. If God promises that we will receive glory on the other side, we should seek it. And he says we seek it by living an adorning life to his gospel. Wives, that's your call. So what are we doing by all of this? How, what are we doing by all this instruction? We're telling the world that the gospel that transformed us, we're adorning the gospel, telling the world that the gospel that transformed us is better than they think it is. It's better than anybody could ever say with mere words. This is what we're called to, church. So older women, I hope I didn't step on your toes too much, but I do want you to trust God's word. I do want you to listen to what he says, because in what he says, you will bring glory to him and you will receive the glory that is, that is for you when he returns. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.